Wow, that was a perfectly appropriate hymn for this morning. The Believer's Prayer. Good choice. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'll catch up there in a minute. It's, uh, it's quite exciting as we're drawing to the close of 1 Timothy. We're not quite done yet. Uh, Luke's got one more rousing sermon next week on the book of uh, 1 Timothy. But as we draw to a close of this book, it's wonderful to see those things which are most impressed on Paul's mind that he's been sharing with Timothy throughout the book. And uh, we get a, a glorious chap, uh, passage this week in 1 Timothy 6, 11 through 16. Um, but by way of recap, uh, last week we learned about uh, several warnings that Paul had to Timothy and the saints that Timothy was ministering to, um, warning about use, uh, useless arguments and wranglings and empty uh, philosophies and, and all that stuff and false teaching. Uh, Paul was warning Timothy, stay away from these things. They're, they're, uh, they're not good. They, they are merely divisive and a waste of time. And we're reminded in verse uh, 6 that godliness with contentment is a great gain. And as a contrast to that, there was a, several verses of warning of the desire for riches and how the desire for earthly things detracts from the desire for spiritual things and, and sidelines um, the saints. And it says even at the uh, uh, end of verse 10, it's, or I'll just read all of verse 10 for, uh, for context here. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith and their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And <clears throat> there's a, it's a very strong warning there um, that the consequences that Luke talked about last week of uh, pursuing money, it says they pierce themselves through with many sorrows by pursuing this. And it's a, it's a very dire warning. I don't think anyone here wants to be pierced through with many sorrows. Sounds, <laughs> sounds awful. Um, but there's a, a very strong warning. And so that's what we looked at last week uh, as a way of warning for the saints to stay focused on godliness. And Luke had some very good uh, points last week. And we're following on that same thought as we start in verse 11, and I'll read verse 11 through 16 here, which is our passage for this week. It says, But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing, which he will manifest in his own time, he who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in inapproachable light, 
whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Amen. So that's our passage this week, and I'm really excited to talk about this as we go through. But of course, the first note that we see in verse 11 is, a, is the warning to flee these things, right? That The love of money and those, uh, those empty uh, discussions on useless subjects. Flee them. Um, why flee? Well, we've got, a, we've got a whole lot better things to focus our time and energy on than the pursuit of things of this world. So there, there's uh, quite a list here, and I wish I had time to give full, uh, full discourse to the value of pursuing each one of these things, um, which are righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Um, I'm sure there's been many sermons preached on pursuing each one of these uh, individually. Um, and I'm, we're going to take an individual look at them in just a second, but at the end I'm going to kind of sum up and say why is it good to look at these things together? Um, because you can't just focus on one thing without focusing on the next. So let's take a look. What are we supposed to focus on? Well, as I mentioned already, the first one is righteousness, which is <clears throat> righteousness is a, a faultless standing before God and men. And it's similar to um, the, what we've been talking about with uh, blamelessness, right? But we know that our righteousness that we have is righteousness given to us by God because of our position in Jesus Christ. So that's our positional righteousness, right, that we have, and that cannot be taken away. That is uh, held on to uh, by the Lord Jesus Christ himself on our, our behalf. So that cannot be taken away, but we're supposed to pursue righteousness. Well, um, this ties in with what we've got a little bit later when it says, lay hold on eternal life. Um, there's things that, we're, that we have, but we're also supposed to live out. So for, you, for us to have righteousness, we have the righteousness which God in Christ has given us, but we're also supposed to live that out. We're supposed to live out a right standing uh, between ourselves and the Lord, um, making sure to uh, avoid sin. Um, because sin, of course, in all of its forms, um, breaks our, our fellowship with God and breaks our fellowship with our fellow man. And all the, all the bad that's in this world is because of sin. And we know that. So obviously when we pursue righteousness, we're not pursuing those evil things, but we're pursuing those, the good things that bring us into, or not bring us into, that maintain our fellowship with the Lord and our walk in Him and our walk with each other which is uh, crucially important for the body of Christ that's, li that's living under the headship of Christ, to be walking with Him and with each other in righteousness. And closely related to that, of course, is godliness. This is not, you can't pursue godliness without righteousness, and you can't pursue righteousness without godliness. Godliness is is following after uh, God's character attributes, and uh, such as such as mentioned, love 
and patience and gentleness, mercy, graciousness. I'm just uh, making a list here off the top of my head. Um, All of these things are attributes of God that we, because we're a new creation in Christ Jesus, have the power to pursue. And obviously I'm not saying that we're going to be like God in uh, omnipotent power or omnipresence or something like that. That's reserved for God alone. But many of his other attributes he gives to us as a challenge and a standard to pursue and to uphold. So as we pursue uh, godliness, we're pursuing demonstrating to others what God is like. I can be loving towards someone because God is loving towards them. It may not dwell in my own strength to love that person. I may have no natural affection towards that person. But because God loves that person, I too can love them and demonstrate it, right? I can't walk by someone and say, I love you, and just walk on by. You know, (laughs) what sort of love is that? That's no love at all. Uh, It says, but God demonstrates his own love, right? Love must be demonstrated, and there's, uh, <laughs> there's a whole sermon uh, in, in that. But I'll, I'll just quote one verse um, on the, the importance of love. It says, by, all, by this, all will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. Right? And so there I've kind of summed up two on our list there, godliness and love. Right, which love is just one of the attributes of God. And furthermore, I don't want to skip over the point that godliness has been a theme in the, the book of First Timothy. Um, most recently, just a few verses before in uh, verse six of chapter six, where it says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. Um, and there's several other verses as well in the ver- in sorry, in the book of Timothy that uh, talk about the importance of godliness. But we see from this verse, the godliness and contentment are great gain. And the picture is, of course, is it's in opposition to that picture of someone who's continuously striving for more, for uh, more stuff, more wealth, more power, more authority. It says, if your godliness, demonstrating the character of God to those around you, and contentment with the things that we have is great gain. What more could a Christian live for than being a demonstration of God himself on this earth and to be content with the things that we have? There's nothing better. There's nothing more. (laughs) To to dwell peacefully with men and with the saints, uh, giving glory to God, and everything that we do and say, building one another up, um, and of course witnessing to those who are lost and to those who are unsaved, saying this is the character of God towards you. I'm so concerned with your eternal destiny that I'm going to tell you the truth about who Jesus Christ is. Right? You could, you could sum up <laughs> quite a bit about Christian living just from that one verse. Godliness with contentment is great gain. But tied in there also um, with these things, of course, is faith. And we don't want to skip over this one. Faith is important. It's trusting God to do what He says. 
There's a great number of promises in the Scripture, but rather than recap them all, I will simply remind us that it's important to trust that God will do what He says He's going to do. He says uh, that those um, who follow the Lord shall not lack any good thing, right? And that ties in with the contentment that we talked about before. Lord provides for us. Uh, <laughs> I'm reminded of that verse. It says, He who gave us His Son, shall He not also freely give us all things? Right? That's a, that's a verse you can claim as a child of God. And say, Father, I recognize who You are that you gave your son to me, that he would go to the cross and die for me. And I recognize that if he would purchase at infinite cost my soul back from its damned state, if he would do that, what else do we have to worry about in terms of our uh, provision for anything? <clears throat> So we should trust God to, for His provision, for His uh, growth. You know, uh, Paul talks about his struggle with sin in, uh, in Romans, and he talks about that continual struggle that uh, he says, uh, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Because what he wills to do, that's what he doesn't do. <laughs> And what he wills not to do, he says, that's what I practice. Even Paul struggled with sin. But we know that in the Lord, that he has made us a new creation. And he says that there's no test that we can undergo that he will not provide a way of escape from. So there's another one of his promises. Every trial that we face, every temptation that we might be confronted with, the Lord is faithful towards us. And indeed, we can count it all joy when we fall into trials. Why? Because we have faith in the Lord and, be, and what He's done for us and that He will see us through. It talks in James, of course, of trials being there to produce character in our life and patience. And so we know that whatever the Lord is, is doing in our lives, we can trust Him that He's doing it for our benefit, for our good. Why should we not trust Him? There's, there's no reason whatsoever. And, and that's the rub because we forget that, don't we? We forget when we're faced with, some, with something like, you know, we're, we're just, you're just going to work in the morning and your car just stops. You're going down the freeway and the car quits working. And at that point, <laughs> it's really easy to forget that we're a redeemed soul. <laughs> and it's very easy to get angry and frustrated and say, why? Why me, God? Why today? I'm on my way to this important meeting. How, why did it have to be today? And, <laughs> and <laughs> we turn around and we forget the character of God. It's very easy to do. Uh, I'm, I've been guilty of it more than once, <laughs> more than twice. Uh, but it's something that we're not supposed to forget. We're not supposed to forget who God is and that all things uh, will work out for the good, for the called according to His purpose, to badly paraphrase verse. Um, 
And so we know whatever situation we find ourselves in, God has us there for a reason. And it's hard to trust Him because we don't see oftentimes what the Lord is about. But that comes, uh, I'm going to, since I covered love already, I'm going to skip right down to patience. You'll have to forgive me for going out of order here. Uh, but it ties in nicely with our next point. When we're trusting God, sometimes we have to be patient and wait for Him. Not, it's not a doubting sort of wait, like you might ask your uh, earthly father to do something for you, and he'll say, uh, yes, son, you know, when I, when, I, when I can do that, I'll do it. And you kind of wait, like, I hope my dad does that, but he may forget, but I hope he'll do it. <laughs> God's not like that at all. He is perfectly faithful. And so as we're patient for him to work, we're not waiting and doubting that he's going to work. We're just being patient for his will and his plan to be revealed in his provision. And we know there's many examples, both in Scripture and out, of those who waited for the Lord and saw him act. And uh, I don't believe George Mueller or his orphans ever went hungry and all of their trusting in the Lord for their provision. He saw, that, he saw the Lord daily provide for his needs. And that's uh, a commonly cited example, but it hasn't gotten true just because it was longer ago. The Lord provides, and we have to wait and be patient for him to act. I think we also have to, Paul might have been encouraging Timothy also to be patient with the other saints, because a lot of times we try each other's patience, don't we? Um, we're not perfectly faithful like God is. We don't have perfect character attributes like the Lord has. It's something that we're called to work towards, but patience with each other goes a long way in helping one another uh, along that path. And by the way, patience is one of God's attributes too. So if you think you're trying to help someone out by being patient with them and waiting for them to demonstrate some of God's attributes, he's also working in your own heart to give you patience. (laughs) And so we can all benefit from that as well. And finally, gentleness. We're tempted to uh, let our patience run out, and when that runs out, we're not very uh, uh, keen to be gentle (laughs) with someone else, are we? Lord, but Paul urges Timothy gentleness, towards gentleness. Gentleness towards the other saints in speech, in action, in example towards the other believers. So to sum all these things up, um, there's a lot of character attributes that Paul is encouraging Timothy towards. And we see from later... Right In verse 14, he says, keep this commandment without spot. Why are we supposed to hold on to all these things beyond all the obvious benefits that I've just listed? All the the benefits that I've listed are uh, very uh, temporal, immediate benefits as we can see as we're living our lives down here. This is why we're supposed to hold on to these things as saints. Why... Are we supposed to hold on to those things in the eternal perspective? Because if all it does is bring me good here, but has no consequence to come, you know, that's a, a limited benefit, certainly not of no benefit, but it's of limited benefit. But 
what Paul holds up here at the end of this passage is really the character of Christ himself and that he's going to be revealed. Um, so hold that thought for just a minute. I have a few more thoughts to stuff in here before we look at uh, the, uh, the awesome hymn at the uh, end of this passage. Okay, so Paul challenges Timothy after these character attributes. He says in verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. And I'm going to stop right there for just a second. Fight the good fight of faith. What does that mean? Well, it means that the struggle to demonstrate these character attributes and to live for Christ... It's not, a, it's not something you can do in ease sitting on your sofa. It's a fight and it's a struggle. And Paul's saying, look, get up there, gird yourself with the mindset of a warrior. I'm going to fight for these things. I'm going to put to death my members of unrighteousness, as it talks about, and bring to life and a full uh, full manifestation, that new creation that I am. Because we're always fighting against the flesh. And that's just part of the fight. There's all... Um, so, uh, sorry, I'm going to get sidetracked completely here for a second. Um, <laughs> we fight against the flesh, and that's part of the fight of faith. But Paul's also saying, labor for the gospel and for the doctrines that you're supposed to be fighting for as well. So it's all, it's all one and the same. Right? If, you're, if you're not disciplined in your body and your own spiritual walk, how are you going to be uh, fighting effectively against false teaching and uh, dissension in the church or any of the other things that he's called upon to fight for? Right? Uh, uh, an overweight, sedentary soldier isn't a very good warrior on the battlefield. He's quickly exhausted and will fall. But one who is disciplined... That's the warrior you want to be fighting in the fight of faith. And uh, also as an illustration, I was watching a, a video this week um, that really brought home the, uh, the, the aspect of fighting, of getting up and, and doing something. And I, I'm not going to show the video here. It's a little bit long. But the, uh, the illustration is, is a, a father... Uh, it's a domestic setting. A father walks past the bedroom of his daughter's room and he looks in and he sees that there's clothes everywhere and everything's in complete disarray. And he goes, you can kind of see this kind of shocked and horrified expression on his face as long as kind of a curious as to, you know, why, why is this? And so he walks out in the living room and the daughter, his teenage daughter is sitting on the couch uh, doing something on her phone, listening to music or whatever. And he says, excuse me. And she says, Yes, and he says, uh, didn't I ask you three days ago to clean your room? And she says, yep. And he says, so what's with this? And she's like, well, I memorized what you said. And he's like, what did I say? She says, clean your room. And he says, very good, that's exactly what I said. And she's like, and then I got, I found this book. It says, uh, nine Nine ways cleaning your room will completely change your life. And I read this book, and I was all encouraged about it. And then I got together with a group of my friends, and we all read the book together, and we discussed it, and we talked about it. And she says, it was just a, a life-changing experience, this discussion I had with my friends. 
And the father's standing there looking at her like, (laughs) what? (laughs) Your room's a disaster. And the of course, the analogy is perfect, right? As a Christian, the Lord tells us to do something, and we memorize it, and we study it, and we discuss it, and things are still a disaster. There's a call to action. Fight the good fight of faith. Get in there and get it cleaned up. And then tell your friends about it after you've done it. <laughs> um, I, I was just blown away by this video. It was, so, it was so perfect. It was such a perfect analogy. And you can just see the shock on the father's face as he's, why, why didn't you actually do it? After all, after all this convincing of how good all these things are, why didn't you do it? And I think sometimes God must look upon us that way. Look, my child, you know the benefits of doing all these things why are you sitting there memorizing my scripture instead of out there living it? And I don't want to knock memorizing scripture here. It's very precious to put into our hearts the word of God. But the reason we do it is so that we have it in our memory so that we can live it out. It's not just supposed to stay there as the end all and be all. So Paul, he says, fight the good fight of faith and lay hold of eternal life. So what does that mean, to lay hold on eternal life? Well, it's saying that all these blessings that we have as being in Christ and having eternal life, we have those things right now. Okay? Too often we think about eternal life as that life that happens after we die, where we're in the presence of the Lord continually. Eternal life is being in a right relationship with God. That we have right now. So if we're in a right relationship with God right now, of course there's a future which we will spend together with the Lord, but we already have the benefits as a child and an heir of God. And so to think about it, eternal life is something that's merely in the future for us to enjoy one day is, is a wrong way of thinking about it. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus right now. We have power over sin right now. So to live as if that's some future state and not take full advantage of that right now is a grievous error. So we're supposed to lay hold on to eternal life. Hold on to those things that we have in Christ now. Live them out now. If, if I have power over sin, right, that's that, um, that, going back to the analogy of cleaning your room, right? I have power over sin. I'm not just going to memorize that I have this. When I'm confronted with a sin, I can say, I have power to say no to this sin now. And that's a challenge. <laughs> but it's the same, it's a It's a challenge right along with keeping our room clean, right? We all know we should keep our room clean. I spent a couple hours cleaning mine yesterday. (laughs) And it's not completely clean yet. But I have this idea in my mind of what my room will look like when it's completely clean. (laughs) I may get there someday. Um, But if we lay hold on eternal life and say, I can have all 
the blessings of being in Christ right now and trusting Him and seeing Him work in my life, seeing His provision for me, seeing my, uh, seeing my eternal life and the power of it pouring out of me into others around me, the saved and the unsaved. We can change other people's lives and build them up by the way we live our lives right now. And so as we go about our lives and demonstrating these things, it should be a challenge to other believers around us to live the same way, but it also should be, um, we talked, uh, let me talk about, um, oh yeah, at the prayer meeting, we were just talking about um, being a fragrance that permeates uh, everything around us. If we're living in righteousness, righteousness is not just something that is contained within us. It's going to flow outwards. It's going to flow outwards in our actions, and people are going to say, you're different. You're living a righteous life, a blameless life, that I don't see anybody else around here living. How do you do that? Why do you do it? And you can go to them and say, I have laid hold upon the eternal life which I have now. That's why I'm not cutting corners at work. That's why when I'm treated roughly, I respond in kindness and meekness. These things are not natural, but they're they're a demonstration of a godliness that comes by someone laying hold of the eternal life that we have now. And... It's in contrast to the false teachers that were proclaiming to have godliness, proclaiming to have righteousness, but just saying you have it doesn't actually give it to you, and it would be seen in someone who did not have, truly have eternal life, they can't demonstrate victory over sin and a power over their Uh, old nature, they can't do it. They're still slaves to sin. And yeah, they may fool and deceive and trick and, and say things, but you'll know a false preacher by their fruits. And we, uh, we saw some of that earlier in this book. And of course, there's many other passages in scripture that warn about false teachers, but our laying hold of eternal life is the demonstration of the truth of what we believe in. And that's why it talks about uh, in the qualification of uh, elders and uh, and deacons, um, it says uh, they're supposed to demonstrate boldness and uh, walk in righteousness towards those who are outside, giving no cause for others to blaspheme, right? If we're living in sin and debauchery and claiming to be a child of God, right, that gives other people... uh, reason to say, well, God, your God that you follow must not be as great as you say he is, because look at the way you're living. So we're supposed to demonstrate the fruits of righteousness. And Paul says in verse 13, I urge you in the sight of God. Oh, hold on. I need to go back a little bit. I didn't finish verse 12. Uh, So starting verse 12, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life to which you were 
were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And as I was reading over this with Luke and Don earlier this week, um, I was thinking there's a lot of sayings in Scripture that have received a lot of attention, like the Ten Commandments, right? If I say the Ten Commandments, you know instantly what I'm talking about. If I say the Great Commission, you know exactly what I'm talking about right away. But when I say the Good Confession, I see questioning looks on people's faces. What is the Good Confession? What does that mean? I'm really sad that that one didn't catch on along with the, the Great Commission and those other, uh, the Golden Rule and things like that, that we all know instantly what I'm talking about when I say it. What is the Good Confession? Well, it's tied to uh, the passage. Um, well, hold on, let me, let me read verse 13. I'll start to explain it. The Good Confession, uh, in the presence of many witnesses at the end of verse 12, and then verse 13, I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things, and before Christ Jesus, who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate. Okay, so there's a clue. The good confession was confessed before Pontius Pilate. And it ties in with the passage that we looked at earlier today in uh, uh, John, uh, I believe it's 18 and verse 36, uh, where Jesus answered to Pilate. He says, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. That's the good confession, that Jesus Christ is King indeed and Savior of the world. For this cause He came, uh, that He should bear witness of the truth. And we share in that witness and bear witness of Him, our Savior. And that it is the truth that He is the King, the King of kings and Lord of lords. That is the good confession. So if I can popularize that expression starting, starting here, uh, let people know what the good confession is. It's the truth about Jesus Christ. And Paul challenges Timothy in verses 12 and 13 that he remember that he, him, that he Timothy, has confessed this good confession in front of many witnesses. Timothy has said, I am a witness of Jesus Christ, that He is the King and the Lord of my life. And furthermore, um, as we'll see in the next couple of passages, that He is also the coming King to which we, we look to His coming. We bear witnesses of this. All of us as believers are right alongside in Timothy in being witnesses of the truth and having confessed the good confession. It's possible that um, just like we usually have a, a, when we do a baptism, right? Before we baptize someone, we have them stand up and publicly proclaim, this is who I was without Christ. This is who I am in Christ. And I confess that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. It's a public pro proclamation. 
And this might be indeed tied to Timothy's baptism. Um, And we don't know this for sure, but it's possible that Timothy was baptized and immediately afterwards the the elders laid hands on him, as we talked about earlier in the book, and um, prophesied concerning his gifts uh, in the church. It's a possibility we don't know that for sure. Um, But we do know for sure at some point that Timothy did, uh, the elders did lay hands on Timothy um, and uh, in in confirmation of his spiritual gifts and and identifying with him and his work that he would do in the church. Um, So Timothy obviously has publicly proclaimed that he's a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ in front of many witnesses. Um, And so Timothy is called upon to be a warrior for the gospel and as a witness, uh, both in the church and outside of it, uh, guarding against all falsehood and uh, standing up as as a defender of the faith. And Paul continues in verse 14, he says that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing, which he will manifest in his own time. He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality dwelling in an approachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. This last section that I just read all together is the full reason that Timothy is called to do all these things and that we as believers are called to live the way that we live. It's because we follow the Savior who has this incredible, incredible list of attributes. Do you want to appear before the King of kings and Lord of lords, the potentate, the one who holds all the power in the kingdom. You want to appear before someone like that having spots on your resume as his follower. I really don't. I mean, you could think of even uh, an earthly power, someone of great importance, having someone commissioned to be their ambassador uh, or their public servant. Um, there's been uh, a, lot, a lot of hue and outcry, of course, uh, in recent news about policemen, you know, who are supposed to be re- representations of the justice system here in the U.S. and some of their misconducts, right? And so there's been spots cast on certain individuals. They're not, and, and the reason that they're blamed is because they're not living up to the standard that someone would expect for a policeman, right? And that's, that one's easy to mess up, but it's not even as high of a standard, not nearly as high of a standard as we have as servants of the Most High God. And I love this passage where it talks about the Lord Jesus Christ appearing because we know we don't see Jesus now, right? He's not here with us. But one day we will see him again We will be received up into heaven at the rapture, right? Those of us who will will be alive at that point. And if if we're not, (laughs) we'll be resurrected. So there's no no, uh, lack 
of God or, or limit to His power, we will see Jesus. He will come again. But what it's talking about in His appearing here and His, his manifestation, the, the raptures for us, that's to the rest of the world, that's not exactly a very noticeable event. It's going to be like the, the twinkling of an eye. So we'll get the full benefits and enjoyments of being together with the Lord for all time. But when the rest of the Lord will see it is when He is manifest on earth as King of kings and Lord of lords. That day is coming, brothers and sisters. That day is coming for certain. And we are bearing witnesses, or we're bearing witness and proclaiming ourselves as part of His kingdom. We're saying, I am banking everything that I have, everything that I am, everything that I hope to be on the fact that Jesus will one day be revealed as King of kings and Lord of lords. Because if He's lied about that, He's lied about everything else, and we of all men are most pitiable. (laughs) But that's not the case. We have our hope placed firmly in the most powerful, perfect being who ever, who, who was and is and always shall be. And it kind of puts this whole thing in perspective about us laying hold on eternal life and fighting the good fight of faith. We are servants of Jesus Christ. We are called to demonstrate His attributes now so that when He is manifest fully, we'll say, ah, yes, that is the full revealing of what we're striving towards right now as believers. We're all tied together in this, and we all bear witness of this truth. This is the only truth that matters and echoes through all eternity. Jesus Christ is King, and we serve Him. And it just boggles our mind as we think about uh, this morning at the breaking of bread, we were worshiping. We were worshiping the Lord for Him uh, coming and dying for us this morning as we remembered Him at the breaking of bread. It just boggles my mind that the the Creator of the universe, as it says in uh, verse 13 here in verse Timothy, uh, God who gives life to all things. Jesus Christ breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life. He's the one who gave us life in the first place. He's the one who gave life to this whole world. And I'm sorry, it just blows my mind, right? I can't, no one in this world can create any life. We can nurture life, we can, uh, we can water, we can plant, but we cannot create life. God created all life that we know. He created us. He made us who are dead in our trespasses and sins to be alive in Him forevermore. 
There is no greater power. And it's just mind-boggling to me two things. One, that that life giver would give up his life on my behalf, which we'll spend the rest of eternity praising him for. That's mind-boggling fact number one. Mind-boggling fact number two, we're called upon to represent him, the most powerful, (laughs) omnipotent God. We are called to represent him as as his ambassadors here on this earth. Why would he pick me to represent him when he is... He he needs no representing. He can, in the blink of an eye, reveal to himself, and it says that he dwells in inapproachable life, inapproachable light that no man has seen or can see. Right? No, uh, sorry, Moses asked to see God, and God said, I'm going to have to cover you with my hand and pass by, and you'll get a glimpse of of the the trailing end, my backside, the trailing end of my glory. And Moses' face glowed (laughs) for quite a while, days, weeks afterwards, just from catching a glimpse of the tail end of the glory of the Lord. We, one day, will witness His glory and we'll be perfected in that day. Because we won't be able to see Him in this mere mortal flesh. That is how beautiful and how perfect our Lord Jesus Christ is. And that inapproachable light needs no representation. But if it was revealed here on earth, all mankind would be wiped out. So the Lord says, I give you the task of being my ambassadors. Present yourselves as a living sacrifice, fully acceptable to God, because this is our reasonable service. And that is our challenge this week. Think about it as you go about this week and, and living out that life that's laying hold on eternal life. How am I going to be an ambassador for Christ this week? How am I going to demonstrate the love and power of God, who I confess as King? How am I going to demonstrate that this week? And it's a real challenge because I know even for myself as I go, there's such a disparity between what I've been talking about for the last 15 minutes and talking about sports and TV shows over lunch break with my coworkers, right? I wish that every lunch break I could go over this passage with my coworkers and say, this is Jesus whom I served, who, who I serve, the, <laughs> the only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords. None of my coworkers would understand that in the slightest. But... We're to bear witness of that fact. And we're to, and we're to do it not in uh, a proud, arrogant way, right? But demonstrating all the fruits of the Spirit, demonstrating His love and His patience and His humility um, and all the other fruits of the Spirit 
which are listed out. So that's the challenge to us this week. How are you going to live this week in light of knowing who you serve? And I'll just leave you with this one verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20. Uh, which is, uh, there's quite a bit more to the context here that I'm going to have to leave out for the sake of time. Uh, I encourage you to read 1 Corinthians 6 in your own time. But at the end of the chapter, he simply sums up with this. For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your, in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. That's the challenge to us this week. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, it's so magnificent to get a glimpse of who you are. And I can only imagine my excitement one day when I see you face to face see you in your inapproachable glory. And I know that in that day, (laughs) I will be like you, perfect. Not, of course, perfect in power, Lord Jesus, for all power and honor are yours alone. But Lord, that righteousness which you dwell in, Lord, you've already given us Lord, help us this week to live it out, to live out that righteousness, not just memorizing it and studying it, Lord, but living it out. Uh, Lord, it's it's a struggle, it's a challenge, Lord, but we want to honor you. So, Lord, we pray that this week we would glorify you in our heart, mind, soul, and spirit, Lord, in all our strength. Lord, for you alone are worthy, and to you all glory and honor are due. Amen.